Last week, I said that I would cover a, a topic that is what stemmed from the discussions that we had at our camp conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mr. Horchak referenced that, uh, and I believe in, in the in accord, Mr. Myers uh, talked a little bit about it as well. But I'd like to start by going through some of those things today. At one point, we had a brainstorming session, which is dangerous if you know the individuals that are in the camp directors uh, group, but we had a brainstorming session and uh, Mr. Myers was up in front of a whiteboard and we began to discuss certain topics that he placed on the board. Uh, today's message, as we look at the cultural, social, moral issues that our young people in the church face, uh, I, I, I want to confront, uh, well, not confront you with that, but in, instead talk about what areas they are uh, confronted by in their day in and day out lives. God's people, uh, not only the kids, but also all of us, have many, many challenges that we face, many things that are thrown at us. Now, today's message is, is not just for parents. It's not just for children. Uh, it's, it's also for teens, young adults. And today's message is also for the adult children, because we're all children, aren't we, of our great Father in heaven. Today's message is for you and me as we strive to build up one another and take that role responsibly that we are our brother's keeper. And today's message is for us individually as we examine ourselves and look at some of these factors. But the title today is Helping Children, Helping Children Navigate Society's Cultural Waters. Those are big words for me. That took me a long time to get that. But uh, helping children navigate society's cultural waters. The, the issues that they face, the cultural issues, the, the moral issues that they face are, are going to vary uh, depending on the, where they live, the, the region of the country, whether they're out in the country, whether they're in the city, whether they're in a, a public school situation, whether they're in a private school that's a secular private school, but it has more conservative values or has more uh, uh, liberal values, whether they're in a religious private school, uh, whatever the social, uh, social circle uh, of, of where they may be uh, attending. Also, it, could, it, it depends on these areas, the way they, they hit and impact young people, based on uh, the individual's exposure to media. What, what kinds of media, uh, to what kinds of media are they exposed? And also whether one or both parents are, are members of the church, are very engaged in what we believe. All of these are factors, but I submit to you that the things that we'll talk about, to varying degrees, young people are facing these issues. I don't think any of these will really surprise you. We've heard them discussed by, by others here in, in recent, recent weeks. But here's what our group, uh, as we brainstormed for about 15 minutes, just listing these down, here's what our group identified during our brief session. This is not a, an exhaustive list, but they are some things. Uh, especially parents uh, today, if, if you're taking notes, I, I would encourage you just to jot, jot some of these down. And, and, and think about the degree to which you've had these discussions with, with uh, 
your, your children, your teens, your young adults, uh, those that have little ones, uh, these kinds of things, uh, depending on the situation, uh, they may be uh, addressing and facing these situations right now. Uh, first off, I want to talk about what I guess I would categorize it based on our discussions. What we uh, would have said is we're noting in, in today's society an increase in dot, 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 and, and here they come an increase in the importance and impact of social media. Oh, deep thoughts by Andy there. Uh, you know, the, the impact of social media and what that plays uh, in their lives as they, uh, as they age and, and grow. A second thing that was identified by one of the, the members in the group, the increase in and access to and use of pornography. It is rampant. It is rampant out there, and it's rampant in the schools to what uh, young, young folks, uh, boys and girls, uh, teens, are, 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 being, uh, are, are experiencing by what they're being shown. It could be a buddy that pulls up, hey, take a look at this, uh, that, that starts with that, or, or whatever. But it, it is out there. Uh, the sexualization of, of society and, and the sexualization that occurs in media is pervasive. And it, for us as parents, to turn a blind eye to that uh, is very dangerous because it is out there. It is out there, and I, and I think most of us are, are very well aware of that. An increase in what, what we're seeing, and I, and I talked with a, a person recently uh, who is dealing with this in a school situation and trying to work uh, uh, with an individual that's experiencing these things, but uh, in enhanced or increased feelings in, in general uh, with, with young people, uh, feelings of worthlessness, anxiety, and depression. Those things are, are on the rise. They, they've, they've continued to be on the rise, especially in recent years. Another one that we see an, an increase in, and I know it's ebbed and flowed uh, throughout, throughout the years, but, but one of the things that we're especially seeing now that, that was identified by one of the guys in the group, the, the, the increased desire for, for personal expression uh, and this, this individualism through uh, certain outside things, be it, be it uh, body piercings, body markings, tattoos, hair colors that fall outside the norm of human existence, uh, all, all of, you know, these, these different kinds of things, we, we, we're seeing more and more of that. Another thing that one person brought out is the increase in, in the movie world in dystopias. It seems like every, every almost every new movie uh, out is some type of a dystopia where there's just a, a twist that this happens and it results in this and this and this in society. And, and it's all about trying to get it back to where it should be. But dystopias uh, are are uh, extant in the movie world, fantasies, fantasies, uh, sci-fi, superhuman powers, uh, all, all of these kinds of things, the supernatural world, uh, all of those kinds of things are, are very much uh, uh, in vogue in the movie world. Those are um, some of the areas that we're seeing an increase in. Uh, one other uh, statement that one of the camp directors mentioned 
that they're seeing is an increase just in simply the gaming culture, what we would call the gaming culture. Not that, not that video games or, or the, the connecting together to, to participate wherever we are across the country or, or across the globe in participating in some of these uh, interactive video games and uh, all of that in, in the gaming culture. Not, not that, that that is bad by any means, uh, but there are, there are some dark areas in that, and I think we're, we're very much aware of that, that the increase in this, this gaming culture, the virtual reality, and that, that does not appear to be diminishing uh, in the near future or in the distant future of humanity's existence. That is, that is getting more and more sophisticated. But, but not only that, uh, one of the, the directors uh, said, but, but the addictive nature of it the addictive nature of it. And I think we, we can admit with, with anything, even things that are, that are good, we can move into a, a state of, of an addiction uh, in that regard. So uh, they're, they're seeing that. Uh, so that, that was some of what we talked about. And then we talked about some other things that I'll classify this under the challenges that they face. And we've heard quite a bit about this in, in recent messages uh, over the last several months. But for teens and young adults, what position will they take on, and then we insert the topic, what position will they take on gender, gender identity, uh, non-binary situations uh, that, that is, is more and more talked about? What, what's their position on vaping? What's their position on smoking? What's their uh, uh, position on uh, Mary Jane? Not uh, Mary Jane who attends in Sherman, but uh, we used to call it Mary Jane. Uh, mar- marijuana. What, what's their position on that? What about uh, sexism, the demasculinization of men, uh, toxic masculinity, uh, the, those, those kinds of elements, uh, gender equity uh, and you know, rights for women versus a, a man-dominated society. Which, what is it, and what, what's your position as as a teen, as you're seeing these things? Climate issues, environmental consciousness uh, is a big area. This whole thing of dating norms. What what is it to date? To be in a relationship. When is when is an appropriate time to be in a relationship? How old do I need to be? Uh, what what kind of a situation do I need to be to be able to be in a relationship with someone? Uh, do I have to be a certain age? Uh, what about uh, in the faith or out of the faith? Is it is it okay to 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 be in a relationship with someone not in the faith, uh, processing that. What is it to be uh, 15 years old if the parents permit that child to be in a, in a relationship? What is it to be faithful? What is faithfulness in that? And that's a big thing. Oh, he was faithful. Uh, she was faithful. She wasn't faithful in this. All of these, these things that are going on and in and, and, and processing, when is it appropriate? And, and what is appropriate within a relationship? Once a person begins, uh, becomes old enough and, and is permitted to be in a relationship, what kind of, of, of demonstrations of affection are appropriate and what is not? Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a big area, and there, there are a lot of difference out there in, in what they're seeing and what, what folks around them are doing. Huge areas, huge areas for, for teens in God's church to, to, to address and, and make determinations about where they are. A few more. Then now we get into some of the more, uh, I guess, uh, what would you say, 
philosophical areas of, of what we're seeing in society, this whole subject of critical race theory. Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica defines it as the, the holding that, that racism is inherent in the law and racism is inherent in legal institutions of the U.S. insofar as they function to create and main, maintain social, economic, and political uh, inequalities between whites and non-whites. Uh, what, what, what position would you say your children have on the whole subject of this, this topic of critical race theory. How are your children processing what they're seeing going on and where do they stand? Where do they stand on issues like this? Social justice, uh, justice, uh, social justice in terms of the, the uh, distribution of wealth, the opportunities and, and privileges in a society. How, how should that uh, manifest itself? Uh, Mr. Myers brought up this whole subject that we see uh, it, continuing uh, throughout uh, in just the topic of what's called humanism. Humanism. What's humanism? It's an outlook or system of thought attaching a prime importance to the human rather than a divine or a supernatural uh, source. The potential value and goodness of human beings. I, I get, again, you know that I'm a bit of a Trekkie, but in, in Star Trek, that's, that's one of the main uh, backgrounds of, of the whole show is that deep down inside, uh, as, as Kirk tells Spock often, you know, at the end of, of the show, see what humanity can do. You've got to, you know, you've got to trust in humanity, Spock. This logic thing, it doesn't get you, the humanness, the human consciousness, the human mind, we are striving to move to a greater good. And if we continue on this path, humanity will be able to solve all its problems. It, it's within us. That, that's a bit of what humanism uh, is dealing with. You can answer all questions through Star Trek. Okay, the last one then is cultural relativism uh, was, was one that we brought up. This, this, whole, this whole thing of is there, are there absolutes, are there absolute rights and wrongs, or do we respect and value the culture uh, in that they, they have a, in a sense, they have a right and, and there is a, a rightness in their own depending on, it's all relative. It's not based on any certain given number of facts. I think most of us are aware of that. But, but these, these are concepts that are, are pummeling our young people. They're, they're pummeling us uh, as, again, as, as God's children living in this world. The church is a family unit, we're the, we're the body of Christ. We are to be a, a body. We are, we are to help each other as a family. How do we as a family, how, how do we navigate these waters? How do believing parents, how, how do they work with their children who are called? They're, the promise is to you and to your children and those who are afar off. Our children are called. They're, they're, they're the the avenue is open to them. The window is not closed when we have parents who are in God's faith. How, how, do we, how do we work with our children in these areas? How does the ministry work with the membership, uh, with our brothers and sisters in the faith? How do we, the brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we work with one another? How do we be our brother's keeper in, in these kinds of matters? What, what, what is our role in that? And not to be undervalued, and not to be undervalued, how does God, the Father, how does the Father uh, do this as he parents his children, you and me? 
So we'll keep it general today, but, but hopefully, uh, in whatever category we find ourselves, as we just mentioned, in whatever category we find ourselves, as we look at God's word, I believe we can come away with some principles, some, some well-founded, well-grounded principles that keep us grounded. It keep us grounded as we navigate these waters and going forward. In these crazy times, these perilous, stressful, crazy times uh, uh, that, that are, are, are very challenging for us to face. But you know something? I... I've thought about this. Our, our daughter is uh, getting very close to having her baby, depending on the, the health situation and, and what the, the uh, she's got an issue with a, an overproduction of bile, so it could be dangerous for the child. So she may need to have the baby as soon as uh, six weeks before it's due or maybe closer to four weeks before it's due. But, uh, but you know, so, so we think about, we, I think about that. I think about baby Jack, who is, is coming into the world here Hopefully, God's, uh, God's will, uh, we put uh, Stacy's life and, and Jack's life in, in God's hands. But, but you know, I, I hear folks say sometimes, and, and I sometimes have thought, of, like, wow, I, I, wouldn't, I couldn't imagine trying to bring up a child in today's society. I just, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine trying to, to deal with all that. I'm so glad I had my kids already. And I tell you, now is the perfect time to have children. I, I believe that with all my heart. For God's people, uh, brethren, uh, that, that have a strong marriage and, and live God's way of life, to bring another being into this world, another being that has the potential to be in the family of God for eternity, what a blessing. What a blessing to be in a world where it is becoming clearer and clearer to us that God's way works and there is a way that is a way of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that does not work. There is such clarity now uh, as, as we pour ourselves over God's word and pour our, ourselves over his way of life. We see that clarity and we as parents are in a position as, as strong as ever to help our children understand with clarity God's way of life. I mean, I do not doubt that. I do not doubt that. And I don't, and I don't think any of us should, uh, should shirk away from that opportunity and that beautiful blessing that the great creator God gives us. Now is the opportune time. It is the perfect time. And God has given us time to do just that. Let's turn to Matthew 22 to get started today. We'll cover some, some familiar passages. We'll hit a few others that I, I guess maybe wouldn't be the typical passage that we would cover in something like this. But uh, one of the things that I, I did this week in thinking about all of this uh, was, you know, I, I thought as, as parents for, for Lisa and me, uh, what we did as, as parents... Uh, you know, I tried to think, well, what, what were our goals and objectives uh, with, with raising our children? Upon what have we based our parenting strategies that flow from these, these goals? I, and as I thought about it this week, I came up with three, and I'd like to, I'd like to cover them because in, in one respect, you know, I, I can't think of any better three. If you can think of some, uh, please let me know. But these are the three that, I, that I've found have been so critical, but they also show how God works with us as our parents. So anyway, uh, think about these. 
And can you think of anything that trumps these three goals? I'm not talking about strategies necessarily, but goals. And is this what is happening in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting situation? Is it what is happening with us as, as God's people as we interact with one another to encourage and strengthen one another? Let's go to Matthew 22. I want to talk about these three, at least in the initial part of the message, before we get to some strategies at the end. Just to review, these are general. These are general, but boy, they are, they are important. Matthew 22, verse 36. Matthew 22, verse 36. I think we've probably heard this before. Uh, Verse 36, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the eternal your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When, when I considered this week the the goals that Lisa and I have had in raising our children, and we have been far from perfect. But I, I will say that, that this was a critical piece. Our goal was to cultivate, to cultivate. I'm not saying to make it happen, because we can't make it happen. Uh, it, it, we are individuals. We are individual human beings, and our children are individual human beings. But we can create... Uh, an environment, we can cultivate uh, an environment, we can cultivate, uh, do our best to cultivate within each person in the family a loving, connected relationship. Or should I say, connect, uh, we can cultivate loving, connected relationships with God, with Jesus Christ, with the brethren, and mankind. Mankind. I, I, I think about uh, that, uh, you know, with respect to God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the world. He loves all of humanity. He loves every single individual who has ever been born. He loves them and wants to give them an opportunity to be a part of his family for eternity. That is how he works. Do, do I and, and how do we as, as, as parents cultivate that within our family. We, well, we strive to cultivate that by not esteeming ourselves higher than others. Uh, and when we act and when we see situations where people behave poorly, where people wave in a certain way to Mr. Lusk as he's driving down the road, you know, how do we handle those situations? How do we handle those uh, those situations with, with our children when, when we see these kinds of things? Do we, do we then put ourselves up here or do we out of love esteem others higher than ourselves? Do we do we have that? Do we cultivate that kind of environment? It is critical. It is so critical. Let's look at Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. We'll start in verse 5, but prior to reading that, I'll, I'll read this little passage that, again, is a familiar passage, but but it is foundational to parenting. It's foundational to uh, our role as, uh, as our goals that we set within our families. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, love, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Is it in your heart? Is it in my heart? Are these things, in, do, do our, our children, do our teens see that it is, it is so embedded in our way of thinking that it's how we strive to live? as imperfect as we are. 
Do we teach them diligently to our children and talk of them when we sit and when we lie and when we walk, uh, lie down, not lie, but when we lie down and when we rise up? Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 5. Deuteronomy 30, verse 5, as, as God is, is talking about bringing them into the land, he wants them to choose life. But let's look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 30, verse 5. He said, The Lord, the eternal your God, is going to bring you to this land which your fathers possessed. Again, we, we see the, the analogy for us. He's bringing us to the promised land, the Israel of God, as he was bringing them to a physical land to prosper. So he'll bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the eternal your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. That has not happened to physical Israel. They have not had the, the, the skin removed from their hearts to where their hearts are open to God yet. God's done that with the Israel of God. He's done that with you and me. He's done that with us as parents. He's done that with us as young, young adults as we've, as, as we've yielded to him and, and gone through the baptism process. He, he, he creates a situation to where that has occurred. And notice what he says, to love the Lord your God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So in, in our families, do, do we cultivate that kind of relationship with one another? Do we cultivate with them that kind of relationship in, in teaching them how to pray to God, to realize that they serve and, and, and talk to this loving God as, as they view their brethren that have been called out of this world and they can come together and, and, and be together with each other on Sabbath and through the week. Do they, do they begin to grasp the depth of what's really going on there and how different that is from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yes, there are brethren, and, and, and all of us, to one degree or another, sometimes grab from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we have conflicts. But to, but to even work through that and recognize how to bear with one another in love and how to, how to esteem others higher than, our, than, than ourselves, as, as we already talked, but to create that kind of an environment, that is a critical goal in, in working with our children. How is that happening? How is that happening? What does that look like right now in our families? As you can only answer that for your own family. A second point. A second point. Let's go to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. These kinds of issues that they're facing, they've, we've, they've got to come at them from these kinds of of these, these three basic foundational principles. If they do, they're going to be all right. They're going to be able to sort through these, these things. Uh, first, first John 2, let's look at a, a familiar passage in verse 2 as we build upon uh, what I really wanted to get to in the, uh, a few verses just beyond this. First John 2, 1 John 2, verse 2, so he, speaking of Jesus Christ uh, here, is the propitiation. He is the, he is the mercy seat. He is the one uh, who, through his sacrifice, has created a situation where we are uh, back and right with God. But he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the entire world. 
We've got that world picture as, as, as young people, as parents, hopefully we can teach that, that, that God is in the process of doing this for all of mankind through Jesus Christ, and he's giving us that opportunity now. Verse 3, now this is how we know him. Well, I, I love God. I, I, love, I love Jesus Christ. I love my family. Uh, this, this is how we know. This is how we know that we know him. How do we know if we know him? If we keep his commandments. We, we've got to be walking in his commandments. Otherwise, we're playing games with our minds. We're, we're playing games with our children's minds. He who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments, that person's a liar. And the truth isn't even in him. But he says in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, who, who sees the word of God, reads it and, and keeps it and understands it, who keeps it, truly the love of God is, has been completed or is perfected in him. This is how we know that we're in him. This is how we know that we're in him. So as, as parents, we can foster this kind of, of knowledge by placing on a very high plane, a very high pedestal, that the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his truths, the knowledge of his ways, the knowledge of his teachings apply to their everyday decisions, to their everyday decisions. So, so think about us as adults, as the children of God. Does God's way, do the truths of God, do they apply to our everyday decisions? Are, are, do we take them into account? Are we thinking about them first and foremost? Are they so grounded in us that everything that comes in at us in all the different things, the situations that are going on in society, that we both we first filter that through the Word of God. Now, we don't have perfect knowledge of the Word of God, but there's this, this process that, that we instill in our children at a, at a young age to desire to learn more about the knowledge of God and build on that and grow on that and grow on that. So as we age, we grow in that ability to make better and better decisions, decisions that are based on the Word of God. I mean, we can be 79, 86, 40, whatever, and, and base very little of the decisions that we make on the law of God. We can do that. People do that. People do that. And, and yet we have young people that based on the knowledge that they have, and it's not complete, my knowledge is by far from complete, uh, just, but, but what they have, they're basing that on the knowledge of God, and they grow in that wisdom. They grow in that wisdom of God, and they grow in, in favor with God. The, so the second point is to take the knowledge of God's truths, his ways, and his teachings, and apply it in their everyday decision. That was a, a key goal for, our, for, for us with our daughters, uh, trying to help them do that, and always thinking, hey, am I modeling that? And I expected my daughters uh, to, to nail me on that in a respectful way, but uh, to nail me when they, they saw that this, this doesn't line up, Dad, with what, uh, with what uh, God's Word says. Uh, it's humbling to be in that situation, but, but at the same time, that to know that, th that, that they have begun to place that at that kind of level is 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 very encouraging to see. And that involves two components under this taking God's uh, knowledge of his truths and applying it. Let's look at, uh, stay in 1 John 2 and read verse, verse 9. Let's look at verse 9 now. He who says he's in the light, well, I'm in the light, I know God's way, I'm here, uh, but hates his brother. Is there anyone here uh, 
on this earth whom we esteem uh, lower than ourselves? He who loves his brother uh, abides in the light, verse, verse 10. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. How, how can we, how can we as, as parents, uh, appear to teach the light if we ourselves are in darkness? How do we teach our, our children to love others uh, despite uh, the things that happen uh, to them by other individuals in, in life? He who says he's in the light and hates his brothers in darkness until now, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Look at verse 15 now. This, this whole thing of taking the knowledge of God's truths, his ways, and applying it, uh, comes. here's the sub-point. Do not love the world or the things in the world. How many times have we read this? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. This is passing away. All of this world is passing away and the lust of it. Uh, the the, the sub-point... To, to taking that to, to their everyday decisions is to create in a situation or cultivate in a situation so as they experience things and things come at them that they are able to simply reject. They are able to reject ungodly, worldly ways of thinking. Uh, it is critical for that person in that person's development uh, toward maturity spiritually to be able to navigate and see through God's word, God's way of life, and what is not of God, and to reject it. That's not popular in today's world. But God, uh, in, in what he's given us and what he expects of us, wants us to and desires that we, and mandates that we reject this world, that we reject the things of this world that are not of God. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But another sub-point is this, he who does the will of God abides forever. Meaning this, that, that we, we hope as we tr- strive to cultivate this love of God's word and, and love of his, tr- his truth and reading it and understanding it and applying it so that when they reach that age of, of, of uh, accountability, as they get into their older teen years and, and begin to be in a situation where, hey, mom and dad's not around. This, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do here? That in this situation and in this situation, that they have internalized it to the degree uh, and internalized it individually to the degree that God's way of life is mine. It is mine. God has given this to me and I, I own this way of life. I own this way of life as I serve my creator. It's not my parents, uh, it's not my parents' church. Well, it is my parents' church, but it's my, it's my church. I'm part of the body of Christ too. This is the way of life for me. This is, this is for me. God's giving this opportunity to me, internalizing it individually. Uh, we see that at happen at different stages depending on the way a child is raised, the experiences that the child has had previous to uh, uh, certain situations, sometimes in adopted situations. That, that can be a, a huge impact of what their background was. We, we see it happen at different stages. We have some that it doesn't happen until 28, 
30, 35, 36, they begin to reflect on everything, and God in his great mercy uh, has, has not given up on them. And, and even though the parents uh, have dealt with the, the situation of, why did, my child not, why did my child not choose this way when he or she um, got to the age of accountability? We, we step back in that and we say, God, this, this is in your hands. This, is, this person's life is in your hands. I have done the best that I can. I, I have not been perfect. But God, I know that you love these kids greater in a greater, in a, in a, in a deeper way than I can ever begin to, to love them. They are in your hands. I, I am there if they come back, if the prodigal son comes back, I am there to encourage and welcome them back to the fold. But God, they are in your hands. Uh, we, we don't know uh, when, when that time will happen. We hope that time will happen. God is a merciful God as we see how he's been merciful with us in our lives. And we pray that God works in his, mystery, uh, in, in his, uh, in, in his whole mercy as he, as he deals with each of these situations of the individuals that are not with us right now. But there, there, there's peace in that. But as, as we reflect on those two, there's a third one that I want us to consider. And that's, that's actually found just uh, across the page as we get to the next chapter. The third area that I know that Lisa and I have striven to do, and again, we have, we've not been perfect in this, but we've done our best uh, to do this as a goal, is, is found here in 1 John 3, verse 1. Paul, uh, uh, John says as he talks to his congregation, and often as we, uh, we see here, uh, he, he considers them as, as, as little children uh, in dealing with them. But he, he says this in, uh, in 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, th that we should be called children of God, that you and I as parents should be called the children of God. What, what an incredible situation that we found ourselves in, that God has done this. Uh, has that does that flow out from us in, in our appreciation to the degree that our, our children can grasp that same kind of awe at, about what, what incredible love God has given us that he, that he has done this, that he's called my parents to this and that he's opened the door to me uh, as one who is holy in his eyes to, to be a part of this, this body of Christ, that, to be the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. There is a, a difference there, and a difference is okay. A difference is necessary because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It's not yet re been revealed what we shall be, the, the depth and the, the magnitude of what that experience will be like as part of his family. But we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. We'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's turn to Proverbs 16. I, I won't turn uh, to this passage uh, but, but in this, uh, what we're getting to in this third point is how do we, uh, one of our goals were, was to, to the best of our ability, to help our, our children catch the vision, to catch the vision of what's going on in the world and catch the vision of what's ahead of them and, and how much that it is uh, to the degree that it is worth it. Uh, to, so to not only catch the vision, but to commit to this way of life, 
commit to it. This is the way of life that I want to choose. And to fully engage in this walk and live it until they're dead. <laughs> until they're dead. Or until Jesus Christ returns. First uh, Peter 1 uh, is, is a fantastic chapter that, that talks about a, it's a catch the vision passage that uh, we won't turn. But let's, uh, let's look at Proverbs 16 verse 3. Proverbs 16 verse 3. I think it's interesting the way this is worded. And uh, think about how this works in our lives, uh, how it worked in your life if you grew up in the church. I, I think about how it worked in my life in that respect and, and to some degree how it works with our children now. It's, it's almost uh, like it seems backwards the way this is written here, but it, it really is how it works. Look at uh, verse 3. Commit your works... To the Lord, commit your works to this, this eternal uh, God that we serve. Commit your works to him and your thoughts will be established. Doesn't say get your thoughts established first. Get, get the vision first and then commit your works to God. Uh, do we need to keep the big picture in mind? Yes. Yes, we do. We, we do need to, to, to see that big picture. But the way that it works often, as, as the parents work with their children, as God works with us, uh, when we begin to realize that this is God, and we believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, we, we start beginning to seek him. We, we, we as parents, help help our children work towards committing their works to the Lord. And as they walk in that way, and again, that, that doesn't negate instruction, why we do what we do, how, 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 why God's way is right, all of that. But, but as we commit our works to the Lord, as, as we begin doing things uh, and, and walk in that paths, it helps us establish our thoughts and that comes back again to that critical situation as, as the child grows and, and matures and, and comes into, especially in the teen years, more of this, this is, I'm, I'm an individual and I have my own thoughts. But as they've committed their works to the Lord and, and had that teaching that's gone around that, the why, their thoughts become more and more established. Very critical, very critical uh, process that the parents... Uh, have to take on in, in that and, and gladly do. Okay, I want to make this statement now uh, because this is critical. I touched on it earlier, but know this. I know this, I recognize this, and I believe that all of us recognize this as well, but I need to say it. We as parents cannot will, we cannot will that these three areas will occur in our children. We can't will that they will cultivate a loving relationship with God. We can't will that to happen. We can't will them to have this connected relationship with, with all of mankind. We can't will them to using God's way of life and God's teachings and God's truth to, to guide them in their everyday actions. We cannot do that. We can't will it to happen. We cannot will them to commit to this way of life. And to catch the vision. We can't do it. Uh, ministers cannot will this to occur with the brethren. You cannot will that to do, uh, will that for others in the congregation. You can't will it to happen. And you know this, God has not set it up 
that he wills it to happen. He doesn't will that to happen in, in a predetermined sense. There's nothing that you can do about it. God's going to make you do this, and you're going to do it. He doesn't work that way, does he? That's, he has not chosen to work that way. We understand that as parents. We know that each individual is an individual, and, and that's, that's the beauty of it, is that God is bringing all, all of humanity, giving, he's willed to give all of mankind kind, all of humanity, an opportunity to come into that. But he's not willed that it will happen with each individual. It is his preferential will uh, that all will come to repentance. That, that he, and he will set that up because he so loves the world. But he will not make it happen that everybody must do that because he is bringing people into, into the God family. And, and he, he wants individuals, when he calls and gives them the opportunity to understand his mind, he wants individuals to go after that and grab onto that and yield to that and recognize that the only way towards that happiness is towards seeing things from God's perspective, coming into his way of thinking, and so that then he has all of these individuals, all are, are, are unique, but that have yielded themselves to God that he's going to take and do with whatever he's going to do into eternity that's going to be incredible. But that's the way he works it. And, and there, is, there is some peace that we can have as, as parents, uh, as, as we've worked with, with our children, and as we see certain things happen here and there, and ultimately some that choose, at least at this point, at this stage in the game, they say, you know what, I think I'm going to try this. Uh, and as much as we've worked here and here and here, uh, as God, who was the perfect parent with Adam and Eve, uh, taught them and they rebelled, uh, and as Satan, uh, God, was God bad to Satan? Was, was God uh, uh, tricky or deceitful with him while, before, he got, before he became corrupted? Of course not. God is perfect and good in every way. The, the, the perfect parent uh, did not mess up in that regard. Uh, individuals have the power of choice. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because God wants that power of choice to be made uh, in a way that yields to him. We can't will it to happen. Uh, all right. So in, uh, in that, let's, let's go now to James 1. We, in our interaction with God or or our lack thereof, uh, along with our children, as I mentioned, we can choose to rebel against these things. We, we, can, we and, and they can, can disobey. Uh, and when we have uh, authority over them as parents, uh, we chasten our children when they do, when they rebel against that. There is, there is a chastening. Sometimes it's the natural chastening. Uh, don't ride the bicycle without using your hands. And the child says, I'm going to ride the bicycle without using my hands. And hits a bump and the wheels turn, comes down, knocks a couple of teeth out, scrapes up. Well, now uh, it's time for me to spank that child as well about 50 times because uh, he needs to really feel the pain. I know his teeth are knocked out. Uh, so, you know what I'm saying. So it's, it's, there are sometimes natural consequences that takes place, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, a result of this that is a, a very natural cause and effect relationship that, that teaches 
things, and we, we see that happen in our lives. Uh, but there are also times when there are structured chastisement, when rebellion doesn't necessarily have a consequence for them right there, so we need to create the consequence as parents. Uh, chastisement, uh, uh, spanking, uh, especially for, for younger children, to help them realize in a structured way that this is not good for them. Uh, and, and done out of love. God, uh, as our parent, uh, chastens us. He sets the standard. Uh, and, and just as we as parents set the standard, we, we, we also comfort, we exhort, we encourage, we build up, we edify, we motivate, we reward, we even try to inspire them. We do all the things that we can do. But uh, as we mentioned, uh, as the God of this world did, we too, we children, and uh, God's children alike, our children and God's children alike, can choose to kick against the goads. We can, we can choose to do that. And many of, of us as parents have seen adult children kick against the goads, uh, as, as we read a while back with the Apostle Paul of what he did prior to that. He was kicking against things, and he was only causing harm to himself. himself. But, uh, but yet, uh, they can do that. They can do that. They can fight against that. And it, it, uh, it leads eventually, most times, to a situation of repentance. But back to those items that we listed earlier, uh, these cultural, social issues of today. This didn't come up in our group setting, but I, I thought about these as well, uh, things that our, our youths are facing. Uh, and again, we could listen, list a lot more. But what about this uh, situation? Nationalism, the, the, the pride in country, whatever country from which we hail, and uh, the biblical view of where our citizenship lies. That's becoming more, more of an issue. Our, our youth in the church are, are grappling with that, of where, where, where does our citizenship lie? When we see, see things going on in our country, that we, based on whatever our experiences, has, our experiences have been, and we see things happening, uh, how should we, uh, how should we as adults, the children of God, how should our children view that? How should they approach that? What should they do about that? What about abortion, a woman's power over her own body versus the life that's inside her and that life's rights? What about governmental oversight? Boy, that's a big thing right now. We see that with the whole vac vaccination mandate. What's going on there? Where do you stand on those things? Where do your children stand? What, what, what are we teaching our children? Uh, What's the right position on that, on, on those kinds of things? What, what is the biblical? What is the biblical? Is not, not as we look at one or two scriptures, but as we look at all of God's word, how is the best way to educate our children and help them navigate these kinds of issues? Individual rights uh, versus uh, is, is there too much governmental overreach? Is there not enough? Do we need to do more in, in certain areas uh, as a government? We, meaning uh, our country in which we live right now. These things are big. These things are big. And, and personally, uh, as, as, as I look at God's word, I, I think these, 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 at least the principles of how to view these kinds of things are answered in God's word. 
Are we being fair with God's word? Are we pouring over God's word to, to look at it from that construct enabled, uh, to enable us to be able to interpret what's going on and help our, our children, our young adults, and we as young adults who are on our own, are we pouring over that to get that clarity on, on how to proceed forward uh, in this world that is passing away and the lusts of it? Uh, something uh, deeply to think about. But in, in thinking about these three big areas of, of navigating, helping our teens navigate these issues, uh, let's look at finally some, some strategies here in the, in the last uh, few minutes of the message today that, that I think can help us uh, as we think about these big goals uh, that, that we mentioned already. Uh, this, this whole thing of nurturing and, and, and our children in the admonition of the Lord. Uh, these, are, these are big strategies, and I think they're very effective. We've found them effective. I've not been perfect in, in these, but I, I've striven in these, and I, we found them to be very effective. And, it, and incidentally, these strategies are used by our creator, God, as he deals with us little kids. Uh, here's the first one. Let's go to James 1. This is one that uh, Burnett has failed miserably on many occasions, but he has a very loving wife who helps him gently by reminding him of this. Uh, James 1, verse 19. James 1, 19. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We as parents are, are in a unique situation for our children to be a sounding board for them, to be a true sounding board, to, to really be able to listen to them. Uh, I, uh, I'll ask you this, but I will not ask you to raise your hands. So just think about this. How many of you as children, and, and especially in your teen years as you dealt with whatever issues that you faced, don't raise your hand, how many of you felt like you could go to your dad and talk with him about any subject on any level? How many of you felt that if you were in a situation where you were frustrated with something that your father did and, and even felt a sense of maybe like a, a lack of equity here or there was something that, that wasn't handled properly that you could go to him and talk with him about it. How many of you felt that way? I, as I reflect uh, in my situation, uh, my, dad was, uh, my dad was a great dad. And, and in some ways, I felt that that was fostered. In other ways, I, I didn't feel that, and I don't know if it was necessarily him so much as it was me uh, not, not feeling like I could, but, but it was not fostered to the degree that I, I think it, it could have been to have really helped me navigate those situations. How many of you... Uh, children, teens, how many of you as adults felt that you could go to your mother and talk with her about anything, about anything? Uh, and, and here's where Burnett has failed uh, on quite a few occasions. Uh, how many, when they did, were very quick to answer? 
I've got that. They've only said about three or four, four words, and I know where they're going with this, and I can just tell them the answer right now because, you know what, I've got things to do. I've, I've got this and I've got this, so let me just give the answer. We can get the answer. We can go forward. Uh, I don't know if you struggle with that. I, I have struggled with that over the years. I am, I am making improvements. But, but those, the, the kind of issue that we're talking about is are we able to, be, to listen? It is, it is one of the most incredible opportunities that we have as parents to connect with our children, to allow our children to talk and to process what they're thinking. And this gets back to the, the spiritual father situation. You know, he listens to us. We can talk as much as we want to talk to him. We can spend a lot of time talking with him. And, and I have had times when I am, I'm trying to sort out the answer to this or that or what I'm supposed to do in this situation, and we're asking God, we're talking with him, help me with this, help me with this, I can't figure out how to do this, I'm working on this, but this doesn't seem to work, what, help me on this. And in the process of talking and thinking and reflecting, God, God helps us get to that answer. And, and sometimes uh, he doesn't... Uh, Maybe he doesn't just say what it is. Oh, I turned. Oh, there it is. I turned. To, I opened the Bible. Boom! There was the answer. Sometimes that's happened, uh, but but oftentimes that hasn't happened. But by talking with him and striving to think in as he thinks, and in his listening, uh, we were able to come to a sense of how to go forward. How are we doing as parents in that regard? How are we as members when another member comes to us and, and has something that he or she wants to talk about? Well, I, I finished talking about what's going on in my life, so I think I need to kind of look around while this person's starting to talk. Uh, how many of us are, are willing to be listeners, to really listen and clue in? This person's got something that he or she wants to talk about. This is important. I esteem this person higher than myself. I'm going to listen. I'm going to let this person talk this through and, and sort this out. And if I can offer something, I will. But, but, but to then maybe ask some clarifying questions. And not necessarily with, uh, as a parent to ask questions that, that kind of get them stuck in a corner. Because parents can be pretty sharp on things. And we can see a fallacy here. And then we ask this question and this question and this question that doesn't, it doesn't create or foster an ability for them to think and, and process it as much as it does. It frustrates them we, because we move them into a corner and force them into something. Do uh, you see the difference? There, obviously, we want to guide, and we, we can guide through questions. But, but to really connect with our children in that way, to help them talk out these issues uh, that they face, uh, to create an environment that fosters this. Uh, verse, uh, verse 28 of Proverbs 15, let's look at that. Proverbs 15. Uh, tied to this, uh, as parents, we need to be very, very slow to label a situation or very, very slow to label an attitude that we maybe at least initially discern without fully hearing the matter. We, we need to be slow to wrath on things. And, and sometimes we ourselves can be in a bit of a funk on something and in an attitude as we go to God. And God, God's patient with us. Uh, he's, he's very patient with us. And, and, and not, that, not that we permit a, a, a rebellious or a, a, a disrespectful attitude, but, but with, with our children. We don't, we don't permit that. We set a standard. But 
they can become frustrated at times and they're trying to talk that out and, and think, think that through. But be, be careful to quickly label a situation without uh, allowing them to, to talk through uh, what, whatever it is that they're facing and issues that they're, they're dealing with. Sec, uh, Proverbs, 15, Proverbs 15, verse 28. Uh, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil, just gushes it out. Many times, uh, again, being permitted to talk it through with us, they're able to begin to develop a, a better understanding of how God would want them to view an issue. Uh, let's look at a second point. This is very basic scripture, but incredibly important. Second uh, Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3, a memory scripture that we've read many times. I was trying to think of some other areas to cover. Uh, because, you know, sometimes I think, well, you know, do, should we go back and hit this very familiar passage? But it is critical. It is crucial. It is a crucial strategy. It is a strategy for all of us. It's, it's a strategy for our teens uh, as they process these things that are going on. Uh, the principles, the foundation, the starting point for how to view and approach what they're facing, it, they are given in the Word of God. Teach them how to answer today's questions with the Word of God. Teach them that. Teach them that. Teach them that. Pro, uh, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 3, verse 14. But you must, he says to Timothy, continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Verse 15, 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Are we teaching our children the Holy Scriptures? The, not only the Scriptures, but the meaning of them, how they apply in life, how they apply as they see them in our lives, as they see us mess up and, and, and repent before them and ask for forgiveness and say, this, I, I, I handled this situation in this, this manner. Maybe a lack of patience, as Mr. Lusk was saying. I should have been more patient. Scripture tells us to do this. Forgive me for my impatience with you. Uh, they see that. They see that God's word drives us in, in our interactions with them. Teach them how to answer today's questions with the word of God. All scripture. All scripture uh, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for, for training and discipline in righteousness. What happened yesterday in the news? What was the big thing in yesterday's news? It was the verdict of the Kyle Rittenhouse situation. So what comes to mind as, as you think about the verdict that happened yesterday? Where, where is the country right now in this with all the different situations that are going on? How, how are you, how am I, how, how are we navigating the, the outcome of that decision? Are we basing uh, our thoughts on what should have happened? Uh, you know, I think most of you are aware of the situation. I'm going to just brief overview. But we have... Uh, an individual, what is a 16, 17-year-old uh, white male uh, that said that he perceived a situation to where there was, I believe it was a Black Lives Matter uh, gathering that was in Wisconsin. He perceived, he said, he perceived it to be a situation where uh, there, there could be 
some damage that's done to property, that other people could be at risk that lived there where, the, where, where that was happening, and felt he should do his part by going up there. He brought with him a rifle, I believe. Uh, okay, so, so what, what judgments do you make on that? What, what, how are we handling that discussion with our kids? What was the wisdom in that? Uh, you know, how, how are we viewing, are we making judgments about that kid? And, and if so, what kinds of judgments, how are we evaluating that situation? How are we evaluating uh, the, the actual events that happened, whether it was, you know, the person came and grabbed, grabbed for the gun and then it was all of a situation, all of a sudden now he's shooting and two white people die and, and, and a, a third white person is injured. Uh, who's accountable for this? Uh, what what position should we take, uh, what position should you take as a teen on this whole situation? How do we evaluate those kinds of things? We evaluate those kinds of things with the Word of God. We, we evaluate these kinds of things with how we view it based on our understanding of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that this world has grabbed onto. And we see a lot of that in, in everything that happened yesterday uh, in, the, in the verdict, but, but in, in the whole process of, of the events that led to people getting killed, we see actions that are all part of this world, of, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is passing away. And... and and, and these things are happening and people are suffering and we see missteps that that, that that boy made. You know, what was the wisdom in a 17-year-old bringing a gun to a situation to where he's going to, you know, create some kind of a defense situation, yet, yet, yet at the same time, I can understand a 17-year-old's mind. I, I could see doing that if I didn't have the truth of God uh, and, and being a, a rifle kind of guy and a tough kind of guy. I think I'm going into the service and support our country uh, when I get out. And, and these people are in the situation. As far as I understand, I think it could be a dangerous situation. I'm going to go, go there and do my part. I'm not looking to take anybody out, but I'm going to go do my part. You know, all these kinds of things, uh, at least I, I would hope that we as God's people can realize that it is, it is part of choosing of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God's way is so vastly different from that. God's way, the tree of life, based on the word of God and, and based on what the new covenant church lives by uh, in esteeming others higher than ourselves and, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, how that differs from all that's going on in the world. But can, can we work with our, our, our children through the Word of God to view these kinds of things so we keep perspective through it. It is not easy. It is not easy, but it is doable. Uh, finally, let's, let's go uh, two passages. Uh, let's go to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Uh, so the principles and the foundation, the starting point for how to view and approach what they're facing, uh, th those are given in the Word of God, and we must point them to that. Uh, in order to, to uh, get through the challenges that they see around them. Proverbs 20, 21, 5 uh, speaks to our third point as we wrap this up. Proverbs 21, 5 is, <clears throat> is something to, to which uh, actually was covered uh, 
to some degree in, in the sermonette as well. Proverbs 21, verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Teach your children, teach teens, teach young adults, teach ourselves uh, about and help them experience delayed gratification delayed gratification. God is a God who is teaching us delayed gratification. We heard about in the sermonette. As we, as we, God says, walk in my ways, do these things, be patient, and, and that gratification will come. It's a good thing to not get instant gratification for, for something. It is, it is the Christian way of life to exercise patience and to stay on track and to remain diligent because this happens in the end. Uh, so critical for a young person to do that. So critical for a young person as, the, as that young person is, is developing in, in his or her mind uh, and seeing these inequities and these, these sins that are out there and the impact of this on, this on this group of people and on this group of people and wanting to do something about it now. What is the appropriate uh, step to take next? But the understanding of there is a time period that is good and is part of growth to go through that. Finally, let's go to Psalm 37 as we wrap this up. Psalm 37. So teach them about and help them experience delayed gratification. Psalm 37, verse 1. So many uh, delayed gratification statements here as, uh, as we look at even some of those issues that uh, we brought up at the very beginning of the message today. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 1. Psalm 37, verse 1. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall be soon cut off uh, like the grass and wither as the green herb. But trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. You can count on him that in the end it's going to be good. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart, provided our desires are aligned appropriately with his, of course. But he shall give you the desires of your heart in time. Commit your way to the eternal. Trust in him. This is what his word say, says. I'm going to trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. In time, he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, this patience. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret because of him who prospers in his way. And our young people see those who are apparently prospering in, in the way in certain things that they get to do or that they get to experience. He says, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret. It only causes harm. Don't stew about these things. For evildoers shall be cut off. And those who wait on the Lord, though, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall not be any more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Model these three in our lives. God models these, doesn't he? He models these three principles. Jesus models these. Hopefully, ministers model these. Hopefully, our, our local leadership models these. 
Parents hopefully model these. Members model these to one another. Psalm 37, 23, and we'll wrap this up here. Psalm 37, 23. Think about those three big goals and objectives today. Think about those strategies. Let's be about the business of applying them. Psalm 37, verse 23, he says, The steps of a good man are ordered, they're established by the eternal, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, and boy do we fall, he shall not be cast, uh, utterly cast down, for the eternal holds, upholds him with his hand. I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. That individual is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. Delayed gratification. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. His saints are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and uh, let's, let's keep walking in the way.